Our passage this morning can be found in Luke chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 35 and reading through chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 18, 35 through 19, 10. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Then all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let us together ask the Lord's help as we seek to understand his word. Father God, we come to you this morning as sheep who continue to wander, but as sheep who you have gathered to yourself. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have indeed come to seek and to save the lost. Help us by your spirit to understand what that means. Help us to see our good shepherd who is full of compassion and mercy. And may we be eager to run to him. Revive us, we pray, by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever seen the Mission Impossible films. I understand this was also a television series from the late 60s, but I stick with what I know, so we'll stick with the films. The movies always begin with the lead agent, Ethan Hunt, receiving a top-secret message, a mission that, as we know, self-destructs minutes after it is viewed. The missions are always impossible. Not only do they require a great deal of intelligence, state-of-the-art gadgets, and skilled agents, they also require a great deal of bending the natural laws of physics, if you will. Impossible things are done and must be done in order to complete the mission. Now, having said all that, I still find these films enjoyable. The action is entertaining, the plot twists are rather exciting, and the level of commitment these agents show to the mission is both encouraging and a little bit inspiring. And it also helps that the missions almost always serve other people. 
whether directly or indirectly. Stopping the bad guys saves lives. Decoding the messages saved lives. Finding the antidote saved lives. Albeit impossible, the mission is absolutely critical. As we come to our passage this morning, we discover the mission of Jesus Christ. He confesses it himself at the end in verse 10 of chapter 19. But up until then, he demonstrates it in the way that he interacts with these two men, the blind man and Zacchaeus. And humanly speaking, the mission he is on is an impossible mission. However, Jesus Christ is the only one who can and who has accomplished it. In the two weeks that it will be leading up to Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking at Luke chapters 18, the end of it, and 19. And today we'll start with Jesus' encounter with these two men. And then next week, being Palm Sunday, we will look at his triumphal entry in the last few verses of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is a pivotal chapter in the Gospel of Luke. It marks the end of Jesus' long march towards Jerusalem. The march to his pending death. All the way back in chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus is said to have set his face towards Jerusalem. The city of Jericho is the last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. And in fact, the healing of the blind man is the last miracle that Luke will record in his gospel account. His encounter with Zacchaeus is the last individual encounter Jesus will have outside of his trial, where he's one-on-one with Pilate and some of the other leading officials. From Luke 20 on, the events would center upon the confrontations Jesus would have with the religious leaders that would move the story along to his trial and his crucifixion. So in a way, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, serves as both a summary of everything that has come to this point and also a foreshadowing of what Jesus was about to do in Jerusalem. And these two men, a blind man and a tax collector, serve as the perfect illustration of what Jesus has come to do. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, came to save lost and needy sheep like you and like me. We need to be reminded of this, this mission, this purpose of, Jesus, of why Jesus came. And not simply during these few weeks in the build-up to Easter. We need it to help us draw nearer on a daily basis to our Good Shepherd. And this mission of Jesus to seek and to save lost sheep demands a response. And this response will hopefully become clearer as we go through these two scenarios. That will show us that we need mercy, that we need healing, that we need saving. And Jesus, our good shepherd, stands ready. The good shepherd has and offers everything that we need, we need only to come. I must confess the outline, I did a little change at the last minute, is different from the one printed in the online bulletin. But it's still three points that we will see woven between these two stories fixating on the good shepherd. First, we will see the compassion of the shepherd. Then we will see the call of the shepherd. And then finally, we will see the cause of the shepherd. That's the compassion, the call, and the cause of the shepherd. 
And may they encourage us, may they lead us to deeper and greater worship. Luke begins with the compassion of the shepherd. This comes out in the scenario with the blind man. Jesus' interaction with the blind man reveals the depths of his mercy towards weak, the needy, and the desperate. Three of the four Gospels include this particular encounter between Jesus and the blind man. It is, critical, it, it, it is critical to the emphasis that each writer is trying to make in their Gospel account of Jesus' person and his work. Luke includes the story as part of his emphasis that Jesus is the Savior who concerned himself with the poor, the sick, and the needy. And the blind man is exhibit A when it comes to the poor, the sick, and the needy. Luke is not long-winded in describing this blind man's condition. He says a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. He's blind. He cannot see. He could have been born blind or had something happen that caused him to lose his sight. We don't know. Whatever the case is, this man is physically in need. He would have had to rely upon others to get him to where he needed to be. Likely that spot on the roadside. Near the gates of Jericho where people would be coming and going. And because this man is blind, he is also poor. He cannot work. He cannot earn a living. He cannot care for himself. Begging is his job. He can only hope and pray that someone will be generous enough to provide him money or food or clothing. This man is destitute. Aside from the few who know him, he is at the mercy of complete and utter strangers. And Luke provides a glimpse into how these strangers likely felt about him. When he first calls out to Jesus, we find that the response is those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. On any given day, this man's voice would have been unwelcomed. Instead of being greeted by the comings and goings of Jericho, travelers were greeted by this man's desperate cries for help. When Jesus came to town, his cries would be even less tolerated. What great teacher would want to be bothered by a blind beggar? What person with large uh, crowds following at his heels would stop to engage a weak, needy, and destitute person like this? The man is hopeless. He knows it, the people know it, and Jesus knows it. And it is out of this hopelessness that this man cries out. And it must be noted that while he is hopeless, this man's cry is not faithless. In fact, Jesus will praise the man for his faith that comes out in his cries of desperation. Twice we hear the blind man cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. While it is hard to capture in the English, the cry actually becomes more intelligible the second time he cries it out. Luke actually switches verbs from verse 38 to 39. The first one is kind of a general verb that refers to crying out, and it can be used to describe animals crying out. Almost unintelligible, just, just a noise. Loud, desperate, maybe a little bit jumbled. But the verb switch in, to 39 is specifically used 
to show cries of desperation and help. This man is not a rambling maniac. He is not out of his mind. He is not wailing, hoping that it will get him some attention. His cry is very articulate. It is lucid. It comes from a man in his right mind. In fact, it is the cry of a man who probably sees things better than anyone else in that crowd. Because we know what the crowd, had they viewed Jesus, when they report to the blind man, they simply refer to Jesus by his hometown. Jesus of Nazareth is here. Sure, he might be something or someone special, but he's still Jesus of Nazareth. The blind man, you could even argue, sees better than Jesus' own disciples who according to just a few verses prior to this engagement in Luke 18.34, we hear about them, they understood none of these things. The things regarding who Jesus is and why he came. Jesus, son of David, is a messianic confession. To this point, Luke has been alluding to it, dropping hints here and there that Jesus is the Messiah, And everything that Jesus has said and done to this point identifies it as such. But it is striking that the first and only time this confession is made is from a man who cannot see. Did he know Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, which Jesus read and declared fulfilled in Luke 4? That he would bring recovery to the sight of the blind? We don't know. But what is certain is his conviction that Jesus is the Messiah and the only one who can help him. And so he pleads for mercy. He cries what David cried in Psalm 51 after he's confronted by his sin of adultery and murder. Have mercy on me, O God. This is the cry of every weak and needy and desperate sinner. It is a cry of faith. How do we know this? Because Jesus would praise the man for his faith. He tells him after he heals him, your faith has made you well. This blind man cried out to Jesus because he trusted, not in his cry or in his ability to be heard, but in who Jesus was. And throughout Luke's gospel, he has sought to emphasize that faith is the instrument through which Jesus acts. Your faith has made you well is declared three times, four times counting this one, in his gospel. Jesus declares it to the sinful woman who anoints his feet in Luke 7. He declares it to the bleeding woman who touches the hem of his robe in Luke chapter 8. And he confesses it to the grateful leper in Luke 17 who is the only one to return and to thank Jesus for his healing work. And all of these individuals cried out to Jesus in faith trusting that salvation and healing could only come through him. And it is in mercy that Jesus answers this cry. We find that Jesus, out of compassion and mercy, he stops. He commands the crowd to bring the man to himself and then asks him what he wants him to do. Jesus, out of mercy and compassion, has time for this man. He is not too busy And consider this compassion. Jesus is on the end of his march to Jerusalem. He still has much to do, much to teach, particularly to his disciples before he departs. 
He still has the cross where he will hang in weakness and desperation lying before him. And yet still, with all of that before him, with all that weight on his shoulders, he stops for this needy, desperate man out of mercy and compassion. And Jesus continues to show this same compassion today to the weak and the needy. Which begs the question for us, do we see ourselves as this blind man saw himself? Desperately in need of Christ's mercy. Does our need lead us to cry out to Jesus? Whatever your need is, maybe it is mercy for the first time, or maybe it's renewed mercy for the millionth time. Jesus pours out his compassion upon his sheep. We need only to cry out in faith to the one we desperately need. So in the story of the blind man, we see the compassion of the shepherd. As we move now into the story of Zacchaeus, we still see compassion, but more so we hear the call of the shepherd. This engagement with Zacchaeus shows the wide reach of the shepherd's invitation. Luke is the only gospel to record this event between Jesus and Zacchaeus. It is one of the prime examples of Jesus' concern, not simply for the weak and the needy, but the sinners and the outcasts. As he does with the blind man, Luke starts with Zacchaeus' condition. And in a way, it is almost the exact opposite of the blind man. He's short again and sweet. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus is well off. He has excess. He is not dependent upon anyone. At the time, Jericho was a center for tax collection. It was only about 15 to 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem, so it was a busy city with both people and money. And Zacchaeus took full advantage. He had everything at his disposal. But it came at a cost. Tax collectors, as we know, were hated. They were their own category throughout the Gospels. It's tax collectors and sinners in the eyes of the religious folk. Friendly association with tax collectors was a dark stain on one's social status. It could even put your standing at the temple at risk. And as such, tax collectors became the outcasts, albeit rich outcasts. So just as no one wanted this blind man to be crying out, no one wanted friendship with Zacchaeus. But before we start to think that being a little bit unfair, tax collectors were shady characters. They were liars. They were cheats. They stole people's money. They usually exacted more than what was required by the, the governing officials. Zacchaeus was no different. The people were right to call him a sinner, for a sinner he was. But despite all of this, we see that Zacchaeus is curious. Luke says that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Maybe he heard the report that just happened of the blind man who used to sit at the city gates who is now seeing, following, and glorifying God. Maybe as he's busy swindling and collecting money, he's hearing rumblings of this man named Jesus. Whatever the case is, Zacchaeus wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he passes by. He wants to see what all the fuss is about. And I think Luke tells us or shows us that Zacchaeus has really no intention of actually meeting Jesus. 
He has no category for Jesus stopping and engaging with him. And why should he? Again, he's an outcast, both socially and religiously. If a common Jew would not associate with him, why would a great teacher and prophet? Zacchaeus is as far away from Jesus as one could seemingly get. He's cut off to him by trade. He's cut off by this large crowd that is just growing and growing. And he's cut off by his height. He's short. His only hope of a glimpse is to further distance himself by running ahead of the crowd, climbing a tree, and sitting there and waiting to catch a glimpse. But to his surprise, Zacchaeus finds Jesus stopping under his very tree, calling him by name, and issuing a call. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You can almost imagine Zacchaeus' confusion as he's up there in his tree and somebody stops underneath it. If Jesus had not spoken his name very specifically, he probably would have passed it off as a mistake. But there he is, hiding in this tree with Jesus calling to him from below it. And Jesus is actually inviting him to fellowship. Staying at one's house is not simply providing a meal or a place to rest your head. It is inviting personal association. Jesus is inviting this sinful, rich tax collector to associate with himself the incarnate Son of God. What an invitation Zacchaeus is giving. I can only compare it very feebly to a time that I was invited to play catch with an active NFL quarterback during a halftime of a soccer game. Pretty bizarre. I expected after the invitation was given to have someone say, just kidding, stay in your seat. But it never came. And so a small handful of people, including myself, went to the middle of the field, played catch, and received a few signed goodies. One of them is my, in my office from this quarterback. The invitation that Zacchaeus receives whilst hanging out in a tree is infinitely greater than that meaningless invitation I received to play catch with a quarterback. Zacchaeus had a tainted record. He was an outcast. He was not even the rich young ruler that we saw in Luke 18, a few verses prior. That guy we saw confessed that he followed the law. His wealth, as far as we know, was earned honestly. Zacchaeus was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. If Jesus had already said about that rich guy how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven, what hope was there for Zacchaeus? And his only hope is what Jesus would tell the crowd. What is impossible with men is possible with God. And then we see Zacchaeus responds to this call with obedience and joy. We see that after Jesus tells him, invites him to fellowship, he hurried down and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Now this is the response that every parent hopes and dreams of. The call for obedience has been made and it's followed immediately into a T. I'm still waiting for that call to be heard and received. Zacchaeus cannot wait to have Jesus into his house. He cannot wait to share a meal with him, to have fellowship with him. And I, along with many others, would actually argue that this received him joyfully is a not so subtle hint that there is more going on to Zacchaeus' receiving him than just bringing him into his house. 
Zacchaeus has truly received Jesus Christ. Unlike the other rich man, Zacchaeus is ready to sell all that he has, distribute it to the poor, and to come and to follow Jesus. And he does just that as a sign of his repentance and his faith. Instead of being eager to swindle, Zacchaeus is moved to serve. He seeks to right the wrongs that he's committed. He does what our confession says. He repents of particular sins, particularly. He says, if I have defrauded anyone, acknowledging he has, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus imposes upon himself a harsher penalty than the 20% that was required by the law in Leviticus and Numbers chapters 5. And Jesus responds by declaring, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. This declaration is that the outcast is no longer an outcast. The sinner is no longer a sinner. The physical son of Abraham is now a true son by faith. One of the lost sheep that Jesus has come to save has returned to the fold. Which again begs us the question, are we eager to respond to the call of the shepherd, as Zacchaeus does? He is calling, whether you're an outcast, a sinner, whether you're righteous, a seemingly decent human being. He's calling even if you are unaware of who he is and what he's done. He invites you to associate with him, to find belonging in him. And whatever sin it is that you cling to, he shows that it is a small price for the welcome of the shepherd. And for those of us who are in Christ, we need to ask the question, are our lives marked by this repentance we see from Zacchaeus? This constant turning from our sin, from our comforts, from our securities to Christ. Repentance should be our daily habit. We should be desperately seeking to put off the deeds of the flesh, as Paul tells us, while putting on the deeds of the Spirit. Zacchaeus shows us the freedom that is found in repentance. He demonstrates the joy that is there to be had by all who respond to the shepherd's call. And we see then in this last verse that both this compassion and call of the shepherd are driving to the cause of the shepherd. By showing mercy and inviting sinners, Jesus demonstrates how he came to bring salvation to the lost and wayward sheep. This is his mission. It is the mission given him by the Father, where he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what Christians, we celebrate each and every Sunday as we gather. Jesus is the Savior. We are the lost sheep that he has come to save. It is what we will highlight with greater emphasis in these coming weeks with Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the means by which Jesus has brought lost sheep back to himself. And it's also what we continue to declare even as we await his return. The good shepherd is not finished seeking and saving the lost. He is still active. He is still at work by his spirit and his word through his church. And we find that this statement 
the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, is packed with Old Testament allusions. And this affirms to us that this plan was not a last-minute adjustment by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Using football terms, this was not an audible that they pulled at the last minute. The Son coming to save was always the plan from eternity past. Son of Man was the title that Jesus famously identified himself with during his earthly ministry. It didn't carry the political baggage that Messiah would have brought with it. It comes from Daniel 7 that signals this Son of Man has sovereign rule and authority. But it also points to his humanity, to the fact that he would suffer in his life and in his death. For we find that the Son of Man is also the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Where we find that this man is despised, rejected by men. A man of sorrows and equated with grief. We find that he's wounded for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. And with his stripes we are healed. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The cost to bring this salvation to the blind man, to Zacchaeus, to you and to me, is the sacrificial death of the good shepherd on the cross. But seeking and saving the lost was also the promise God made to his people. J.C. read from Ezekiel 34 where three times God declared that he himself would pursue his lost sheep. He would come. In verse 11, he says, I, I will search for my sheep and will seek them out. In verse 16, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. And in verse 22, I will rescue. I will save my flock. God has fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, the good shepherd to go after his sheep. And he is still saving the lost. He still shows compassion to the needy. He still calls sinners to fellowship with him. It is easy, I think, for us to lose sight of this when we look at our immediate context. It seems at times that the cause of the good shepherd is a bit stunted. Churches in our country are shrinking or closing altogether. News of the lost being found seem rather rare. And on the one hand, this is certainly a call for us, the church, to do our job as Christ's ambassadors. We should be compassionate like our good shepherd. We should be calling any and all to come to the good shepherd just as he did. For Jesus himself proclaimed, the harvest is plentiful. We have work to do. But we should also look here and be encouraged at the reports from our brothers and sisters around the globe. The lost certainly and amazingly are being found in great numbers throughout Asia and Africa and South America. Churches there are growing and spreading as people are coming alive to the grace of God in Christ. The good shepherd continues to save his sheep. And, if he, and, and he is doing it here as well, even if we can't see it. This whole coronavirus situation has many feeling confused and wondering what God is doing. And while I have no precise answer or insight into that question, I can say with confidence that God will use it. In fact, he is using it 
to seek and to save the lost. People are already having conversations with families and friends and neighbors and complete strangers about God and salvation in these days. The simple reality that we human beings are not in control has opened the door for the gospel to go forward and to work. The truth of our own mortality has softened softened once hardened hearts to the work of the Spirit. The cause of our good shepherd remains, and it will remain until he returns to bring all of his sheep into his fold for eternity. So may we respond like the blind man who followed him glorifying God as we reflect on the fact that our good shepherd has come to seek and save us who were lost. May it move us to worship, move us to gratitude. And may we respond like Zacchaeus who received him joyfully, joyfully with obedience, joyfully with repentance to turn from our sin and turn to our good shepherd in whom life and joy and mercy are found. So what shepherd are you following this morning? Especially in our current climate of fear and uncertainty and isolation, where is it that you are turning for security, for welcome, for confidence? There is only one good shepherd. All other shepherds will at best fail or at worst lead you where you ultimately do not want to go. It doesn't matter what your need is. The blind man needed mercy and healing. Zacchaeus needed forgiveness and welcome. Jesus gave both and so much more. Come then to the good shepherd. This past week I came across this quote from Charles Spurgeon regarding what it means to come to Christ in faith. What does it look like to come to the good shepherd? And he puts it this way. Lean with all your weight upon Christ. It would be a better illustration if I said, fall at length and lie on the rock of ages. Cast yourself upon Jesus. Rest in him. Commit yourself to him. Jesus Christ promises to save. He will show compassion. He will forgive. He will welcome. I began with talking about the Mission Impossible movies. And we find that no matter what the mission, those movies always end with a triumphant mission accomplished. The bad guys are caught. The threat is removed. Life can go back to normal, whatever it looks like in those movies. And oftentimes we find that the the populace is totally unaware of what has transpired to bring them normalcy. Thankfully, Jesus' mission, we find, has also been accomplished through his death on the cross and his triumphant life from the tomb. And we are gathered together, even in this different way, as proof that Jesus' mission has accomplished. He has come to save and to seek the lost sheep. We were once lost sheep. We were sinful outcasts. We are weak. We were weak. We were desperate. We were needy. But thanks be to God for sending Jesus Christ. He has shown us compassion. He has called us to himself. And he has fulfilled the cause of his father. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, has come to save lost and needy sheep like you and like me. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. 
We thank you that he has shown us mercy and compassion, that he has called us, that he has fulfilled the cause that was given to him. Lord God, may that fill us with confidence, with joy. May it fill us with gratitude to worship you for your work of seeking and saving lost sheep like us. And God, may it also make us eager to show the same compassion and mercy that you have shown us. Give us strength, Lord Jesus, we pray. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.